to love To every time we'd ever given up To the humble King who came to rescue us Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. Today's message and song are both about love. Our song is written and sung by Kip Fox from Phoenix, Arizona, along with co-writer Benji Cowart from Nashville, Tennessee. But first, our message from Don Ray from Wenatchee, Washington. Taking casualties and want to save an empty sea. I'll invite you as you'd like, if it's helpful, to follow along in the sermon notes today. They're on the very back page of our bulletin as we reflect in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we prepare to dive into God's Word, uh, I'll offer a little passing trivia for us this morning. Any trivia fans in the room? One. Great. Okay, well, it's still early. Uh, uh, here's, the, here's the trivia question. The following line is taken from what movie? Okay. Now, before I quote it, before I quote it, I will say that my wife is a super fan of this particular movie, and so in love, uh, she is excluded from answering this morning so that the rest of us mere mortals have a chance. Okay? So here, here's the line, quote, you keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means, end quote. Anyone know? It's going back. Oh, I hear, yes, one of our, the Princess Bride, a thousand points to one of our catechumens, yes. It is the Princess Bride, which, believe it or not, came out almost 40 years ago. And in, in that scene, the self-proclaimed brilliant Sicilian named Vicini uh, again blurts out his cherished word, inconceivable. Have you seen the movie? Any Princess Bride fans? Oh, good, more than one, okay. Well, you should watch it, really, you should. Well, then in response, the Spanish swordsman in Ego Montoya says to Vicini, you keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. Uh, one of the ironies of that scene is that Vicini is actually using the word correctly. He uses it five times in the movie. Uh, that, that again came out in 1987. What is that, 35 years ago? Well, today's, today's text uh, from the Apostle Paul, it was written long before 1987, 55 AD, we remember. Um, but a bit like Vicini, the Apostle Paul keeps using an important favored word here in the text in 1 Corinthians 13. He uses the word nine times in 13 verses. And the word? Love. Love. Love, love, love. Love, 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 love. Nine times in 13 verses, the original Greek text, the word would have been agape. And certainly for Paul, he's an inspired writer of scripture and he is also using the word correctly. But arguably, I might suggest evermore in our culture and, and perhaps also in the days of the Corinthians, that word, love, gets tossed around and used in ways that may begin with a basis or grain of truth, but what follows that may not always cohere with the rest of God's truth. You know, for example, we might see a, or hear a church or a churchgoer saying, God is love, which is true. 
but stating that truth doesn't automatically mean that everything else that follows necessarily fits with that truth. Uh, it's not faithful to say, on the one hand, God is love, but then to interpret and apply that word love to mean whatever we want so that we can do whatever we want with whomever we want, whenever we want. Right? And so at some level in our culture today and in the days of the Corinthians, we keep using that word, but I'm not sure that it means what many think it means. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into the scriptures. Good and gracious God, you are love, John tells us, and your love is shown for us most clearly on the cross. Father, as people who are loved by you perfectly through Jesus Christ, faith and baptism in him, we pray, Lord, that we can appreciate and understand and live more fully, actively, and joyfully in the love that you've shown us through Jesus Christ, and, and by your love abiding in us, share that love and your truth with others more fully as well. Bless us to hear, receive, appreciate, and bear fruit through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look, as we look to God's word uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which Kathy read for us a few minutes ago, we might first ask, based on the text, if you're following along in your sermon notes, what is love not? Because that's really where Paul starts in this chapter. And it's worth hearing again, he says to the Corinthians and to us, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not, what's the word? Love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Paul says, verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, in the context, it's important that we always read Scripture in its fuller context. We know from Paul's broader letter to the Corinthians that he is, once again, implicitly rebuking uh, the Corinthians for their often boastful and prideful ways. Right? Uh, as we've seen from previous reflections, previous weeks, on the whole, on the whole, the Corinthian congregation, the body of Christ there, was well-educated, Many of the members were quite wealthy and influential, and Corinth, Corinth itself was a, a bustling port city with a lot of influential business leaders and folks. But the trouble was, those aren't bad things in and of themselves, the trouble was, as we know from Paul's comments earlier, is that all that was becoming and had become a point of pride for them. Uh, the Corinthians were even, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, even boasting over the spiritual gifts that God had given them variously. They were using the gracious gifts freely given uh, as, as leverage, if you will, to pridefully elevate themselves in their own eyes and, and elevate themselves over one another. So as Paul is introducing this section here, he is knocking them down a notch, as it were, as he does repeatedly. Uh, he's implying what love is not to set up a contrast to describe what it is. And so Love is not, if we look at just those three verses, it is not in and of itself eloquent speech. Love is not by itself 
uh, clear and powerful truth-telling. Love is not in and of itself having vast amounts of knowledge. It's not even by itself, uh, love is not having even enormous faith, Paul says. Remarkable and amazing generosity, which many of the Corinthians were, were capable of just by the size of the check they could write, as it were, that even of in itself is not love. Love is also not many other things. We could go on for hours about what it's not, but in the context of this letter, Paul stops right there for now. So if those are some things that agape love, that's the word that Paul uses nine times here, agape, if those are some things that agape love is not, then according to God's word, what is love? Because that's what Paul's setting up the contrast for. But as people who read and know Scripture closely, probably a more fundamental question to start is not what is love, but who is love? Right? And we heard that in our opening responsory reading right before our confession today. God is love. 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. That's who love is, God. And we know from the broader read of Scripture also, that God sent His only Son into the world to die and rise from the dead so that by faith in Him we may live eternally. That is love. Remember John 3.16, arguably the most famous passage in all of Scripture. It begins usually, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's why God did that, was because he is love and he does love. And so fundamentally, agape love, as we ask what does that word mean, agape love fundamentally has nothing to do with anything we have done or might do. But most importantly, it is a word that describes God and what He has done for us. And we heard that again, again in our opening reflection this morning, 1 John 4.10. It's worth hearing again. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice or that 10 cent theological word, the propitiation for our sins. In other words, all that means, propitiation, atoning sacrifice, Jesus swapped places with us on the cross. That's what it means. He took on all the punishment that we deserve for living the imperfect, unrighteous, ungodly, impure, sinful lives that we do. Scripture we see from the very beginning, something has to die for sin. We see that all through the Old Testament, the whole Levitical law, the priests are making continual sacrifices to atone for the sins of God's people, to make God's people right in God's eyes by killing, oftentimes, animals, to include lambs, but God has killed the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, for us. That's Romans 5, 8. Beautiful verse. God shows His love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't wait for us to clean up our act before he loves us. He loves us, he loves you, period, full stop, perfectly, no matter what. So in a word then, when we think about that, when we think about the reality, God's word tells us that that's the death we deserve, but that Jesus has swapped places with us. He's the propitiation, he's the atoning sacrifice. That kind of love is, in Vecini's word, inconceivable. Inconceivable to think about a God who would love us that much. Or if you prefer to unpack it a little more than the words of a Princess Bride character, we could also say agape love is this. Here's a phrase for us. It is God's selfless, sacrificial, self-sacrificing love. I'll say it again, it's God's selfless, sacrificial, self-sacrificing love, and it's given, here's a key, not only is it self-sacrificing for God the giver, here's a key, it's given to all people without expectation or condition. Even shorter, you could say it's unconditional, self-sacrificing love. That's what agape is. And then Paul goes on then to describe it in fuller terms in verses 4 to 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, agape is patient and kind. Agape does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And I say the word agape instead of love on purpose. Because we hear and imagine so many different things in our broken world when we hear that word love. Hearing it differently as agape alerts us something different is going on here. Agape bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape never ends. And so, when we consider the broader context of scripture and we know and are persuaded that God is love then when Paul is describing love we can fundamentally primarily read that list of verses 4 to 8 as attributes of God himself that God is patient and kind and so on that's ultimately primarily what is being said here secondarily second to that a far second to that is of course who we are also in Christ by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us the fruit of the Spirit is what's the first part of the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit is love love and so of course in Christ we're going to demonstrate that to some degree as well but let's keep in mind you know we hear this passage a lot first Corinthians 13 in weddings maybe you had it in your own wedding or the wedding of a loved one I as a as a layperson many years ago and as a pastor multiple times have read that passage in a wedding setting and it's good it's good but again paul primarily in verses four to eight is not talking uh, mostly about what a future husband or wife may do or not do again that is in view that god through his holy spirit wants us to live out our faith in this way but fundamentally it's giving us a picture of god of jesus christ of his perfect love 
which we fall short of every day. Now, at, at the same time, if we were just to stop there, then, then agape love could, could just be another definition. It might end up remaining an abstract concept, but it's not abstract at all because God so loved the world, he did that. There's nothing abstract about a baby in a feeding trough. There's nothing abstract about the incarnate word of God being whipped and scourged and spit on and crucified and buried and eating broiled fish in his resurrection. There's nothing abstract about that. It's very concrete and tangible and lived. And so, so then by God's grace, as he loves us, he calls us then to live out that love in our life. So then the final question for us, what might, in your notes, what might agape love look like among us? Because it is not just a concept. There's a couple of points here we can, we can appreciate. And John arguably gives us a really good picture that dovetails with what Paul is saying here. 1 John 4 is, again, the passage that we want to look at extensively, 1 John 4. And let's listen here first. This starts in verse 15. John says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. God is love, verse 16, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So the first thing in terms of a tangible, concrete application that we can embrace as we think about agape love is the only way that we can begin to express it is by abiding in God's word, by being in God's word. John 15 comes to mind, right? at least for me, perhaps also for you, those famous words of Jesus when he says, abide in me and I abide in you, right? He goes on, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You know that passage. So if we are to love others, then we must first abide in God's word and his love for us. Be in the scriptures. Be in prayer with his people. Be in worship as we are receiving the sacraments for the forgiveness of our sins, abiding in Jesus in these ways. I recall a number of years ago, I was going through a, a pretty trying time in, in life, uh, just from a vocational work standpoint, and was becoming burnt out. And, and uh, as I look back, I realize I was probably not in God's word uh, as much as I probably could have benefited from on a daily basis, right? Sometimes God's word, the scriptures can become a dusty book on the shelf. Yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, I go to worship some Sundays, most Sundays, but his word just kind of stays on the shelf. I listen to a sermon for 20 minutes, I go home, and then I forget about it. And that was sort of happening to me in that season. Maybe that was one of the reasons for my burnout, but regardless, I was listening to a sermon in a small chapel, and I was against my own better judgment, sitting in the front row. Notice, no one's in the front row today. <laughs> I don't think there, we could look back at probably years of video, I don't know how many people sit in the front row. I was stupidly sitting in the front row in this small chapel and the pastor had plucked a rose, cut in fact a rose from this chapel, this church's beautiful rose garden out on the sidewalk. And he was talking about abiding, John 15. And he reached across that front pew and had me smell the flower. It was a rose. 
oh man, it had such a great fragrance to it. You ever smell the big, beautiful rose just shoved it right in my face? Smell that. Doesn't it smell so good? Yeah. It's dead. He had cut it from its root. The rose was dying. Still smelled good, still looked good, but wasn't dry yet. But it was dead because he had cut it off from its life source. That was the whole word I needed to hear that day. Don, you're cutting yourself off from your life source. Well, no wonder I was burning out. And so John 15, abide in me and I'll abide in you. If, if at all we endeavor, my friends, to be more loving in our lives toward each other, toward other people in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must first abide in Jesus. There's no other way to do it. Otherwise, we become a good-looking rose that's dead. John also says this, there is no fear in love. Thankfully, you can probably transplant that rose with some fertilizer, maybe bring it back to life. I don't know. I'm not a rose grower. But John also says this. This is going on uh, in 1 John 4. He also says this. So that's the first piece, concretely, abiding in Jesus He also says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, okay, as people who live this side of heaven, we are imperfect, and at times we have fears and anxieties that crop up. But the thing here that John is talking about is this. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we reflected on suffering. Right? In fact, I think it was last week in Romans chapter 8. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if and as you suffer, especially suffering for the faith, remember, God is not what? Does anyone remember this from last week? God is not doing what to you? He's not what? It was only seven days ago. God is not punishing you. God is not punishing you. And how can we be so confident to say that? That's punishment. Remember Jesus swapped us out? He's the propitiation. He's the atoning sacrifice. It is finished. So when we suffer, let's not be afraid, oh my gosh, is God punishing me? Is there something I did wrong? Well, yeah, I mean, we always do stuff that's wrong. But God's not punishing you for that. That's where all the punishment of God has gone on Jesus Christ. So as we abide in him, let's not fear that bad things are happening if and when they do because we're being punished. That's not at all what's happening. So God agapes you perfectly through Jesus Christ. His love endures for you perfectly. And the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, is with us perfectly as we suffer and struggle. We ought to have no fear about that. John goes on to say this. This is in verses 19 to 21. A couple more points here on on making love concrete for us. Again, we abide in Jesus. We dare not fear. He loves us. He's not punishing us. Third, he says this starting in verse 19, 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
Verse 21, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well then, another question that's good to ask about that text is then, who is my brother? Who is my brother? If I am to love my brother, who is it? Jesus says, us, uh, says to us pretty clearly, this is in Mark chapter 3, this is verse 35, and Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister or mother. So when we put those two texts together, what John is teaching us is that in one breath, we cannot say, I love God, but then in another breath, but I hate people who do the will of God. John's saying that's ridiculous. In a word, that's inconceivable. You can't hold those two things together. They simply don't work. And so, as people whom God loves, his work among us impels us to love one another in tangible ways. And those are going to look different, right? They're always based on at least two things. Agape love is. It's based on that love, on Jesus, the one who loves us, and it's based on the needs of the other person. If ever our desire to help someone else comes from our desire to do something good, necessarily, or to puff ourselves up, that's kind of a Corinthian love, a puppy love, if you will. But true agape love begins with Jesus and then focuses on the needs of the other person, even in spite of my own. Remember that self-sacrificing, unconditional love? It expects nothing in return. You know, especially in our working group here at St. Paul's as we talk about what the Lord might lead us to do in terms of our future ministries, in terms of our buildings and our priorities. Uh, I have not heard this notion spoken in any of our working group meetings, nor on the lips of any of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. But I know it is something that's out there sometimes in our minds. We say this, if we can grow our school and we can get some of those members to join, then maybe they can start to contribute to the offering plate and we'll increase our offerings. Right? You ever heard that kind of line of thinking or maybe thought it? Or if our budget is declining, we need to get more people to give? That's not agape love. Because it's considering what we need, not primarily what the other needs. And agape love will frankly never take into consideration any potential reward. It won't expect anything in return. It oftentimes won't end up with any personal gain. That's true emptying. Philippians 2, God emptied himself. That's emptying love. Nothing expected, often nothing received in return. And so... Maybe a different way to look at that same dynamic is what do we want for our community? What do we want for our school families? What do we want for the people in our community who don't yet know Jesus Christ? We can flip that script instead of seeing it as an effort to draw people in. Let's ask God to help us pour in to other people rather than expecting them to pour into us. That's agape love. And the last part here, too. The Apostle Paul also says this. He says, in regards to God's agape love, in humility, right? Because he's speaking to prideful Corinthians. And so Paul lowers himself here in a, in a very powerful rhetorical way. He is saying, look, parentheses, y'all are so prideful, I'm going to kind of 
humble myself here to lead by example for you. He says this in humility. He says, verse 9, also verse 12, excuse me, verse 12, we know in part and we prophesy in part. He says, we see in a mirror dimly and we know in part. Paul here is saying that as we think about what agape love is, right, that it is beginning by abiding in Jesus, God's not punishing us, God works through us to love our neighbors, we also have to remember, as Paul says here, that our vision of love is still going to be dim. Through a mirror dimly, right? A scratched up or steamed up bathroom mirror, you can't see a whole lot in it. It's there, you can see some reflection. But Paul is saying, this side of heaven, we're never going to perceive love perfectly. We're never going to give love perfectly. It's going to be broken at some level. The way we give it, the way we perceive God giving it to us, the way we perceive others giving it to us, even if it's done perfectly, it's still going to be received in a broken manner as if through a mirror dimly. But we ought not let that stop us from loving other people. As I mentioned in Bible study this morning, we can't prevent our attempts to love other people out of a concern that, oh my gosh, I might not do it perfectly. Well, of course we're not going to do it perfectly. But even as we do it imperfectly, the perfect God is perfectly forgiving us. It might be, perhaps, as we love other people with the agape love of Jesus, we're still going to see glimmers, glints of hope and love among us. It might be a little bit like the radiant sun reflecting off of a far-off living room window up in the hills. You can't see the whole house, but clearly it's there and it's giving you a bright reminder, reflecting a bright reminder of something greater that's yet to come, who is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And so, my fellow beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, let us love one another. For God is love, and love, agape love, is from God. Amen. To those who are so broken that it's better left unspoken we're all welcome in this place Where the royals set their crowns on the table And sit down next to those without a name We pass the wine, we break the bread We bear our souls where we've been We revel in the store And raise our glasses up to love Every time we'd ever given up To the humble king who came to rescue us Knows the scars we have Finds us in our deepest pain And always brings us back to love And to those who've taken casualties want to save an empty sea you are not alone listen close and you will find the saints who've gone before their time are in every tale it's told pass the wine we break the bread we bear our souls where we've been we revel in the stories and raise our glasses up 
to love to every time we'd ever given up to the humble king who came to rescue us knows the scars we have who finds us in our deepest pain and always brings us back to love Those who are so broken That it's better left unspoken You are all welcome